Welcome to this conversation between Stephen Gribben, the CEO and founder of CoachPro, and me, Warren Hammond. Here's a quick snippet of what to expect. Instead of telling yourself all the things you need to stop doing, tell yourself the bits you need to start doing. Now, plant enough flowers and there isn't enough room for the weeds. But just ripping out all the weeds doesn't end up with flowers. You need to plant the flowers and then there's no room for the weeds. But telling yourself, I need to stop doing that, might actually have some short-term benefit, but eventually you'll go back to it. This is really about planting enough flowers that you say, no, I know what I should start doing. And then what's the drop-down menu for starting to doing that? Why should I start doing What would be the benefit? Where's this going to be further down the line? All those reasons. Because the, the last bit in this model is that your comfort zone will move. Welcome back, podcasts. In this episode, we're talking about motivation. I think we all know what motivation is. I think we all know when we feel it as well. Some days, you know, you just can't wait to get going. You can't wait to make things happen. You're full of buzz and energy and it's catching. It's contagious. It feels great. Whatever it is you're doing, when you have that sense of motivation, it can be the most boring tasks ever, but when you're motivated to do it, it just flies by. So trick to this then is how can you create an environment where you make yourself motivated, where you can create that level of motivation you need? In this conversation, we discuss that awareness and then how to take ownership of it. As usual, there's a simple model that Stephen talks us through. Um, got dangers, got opportunities. We've got the comfort zone and how we move ourselves out of the comfort zone. So let's get straight into it. I'll be back at the end with some thoughts or comments. If you've got anything to add, drop us a line, podcast at coachpro.online or find us on LinkedIn. Enjoy this one. Talk to you later. Here comes the cheesy music. All right. So here we are, normal cool signal because we're on Zoom. You know, Edinburgh, can you hear me? Loud and clear. Loud and clear. Good news. So today, Stephen, we are talking about motivation. Now, you framed it particularly as motivation to move. And I'm really curious about this topic or interested. It's not just these times, but sometimes it can feel pretty flat and boring and dull, stuck in lockdown and under curfew. So I think this is going to be a good topic. So what motivation to move? Should we start with that? Why why motivation to move? Yeah, well, this is a big topic, whether it's in the situation we're in just now or, or forever. Um, the motivation to move is understanding, basically, why you do and why you don't. So it's understanding the motivation that you have to do something and also the level of motivation to not do something. So it's about understanding where that motivation comes from how that process works so that you can take more ownership on the things that you really want to do and the things that you then make more conscious decisions not to do. So it's owning that motivation to move. So that's basically, isn't it? We understand that motivation, it's a word that we use and we hear lots of times. You know, it's the underlying reasons we we get out of bed to do something or we we spend time or energy on it. 
And I'm guessing what we're going to cover today then is a little better understanding of what it is, but then also how we can control it or how we can build it or how we can maintain it or how we can turn it on and turn it off. Is that the win we'll get from today? Yeah, it's understanding that this is a process by which you make all your decisions and choices. And it's an ongoing process by which you then decide to see things through or not. So that we get beyond the, why am I still saying I want to do that and I haven't got around to it? Or why is it I start things off but I never really see them through? It's to give us that more control and empowerment on that to make those decisions consciously rather than saying, I'll leave it to how motivated I am to make that decision for me, is actually making the decision and then driving that motivation to see it through. So rather than your emotions making that decision, which is your your energy of motivation, you're consciously making that. I'm self-determining that this is going to happen. This is what I'm going to do. And knowing how to then create the level of motivation and continue to recreate that level of motivation, not just to start, but to see it through. Like that. You're right, because sometimes you, it does feel it's outside of your control. You know, you sometimes, you somehow feel motivated to do something, and um, and other times you don't. Sometimes I've got particular ways which will motivate me to, you know, hit an exercise goal or something. But other times I'll try the same thing and it doesn't work. You know, there's good habits I've created. There's bad ones I can't kick. And I try to use different methods, but they don't always work. So, yeah, that makes sense. So this is going to help me with understand this better. Okay, I like this. This is so this. So literally, then this is about owning and controlling what I want to do, what I want to spend my time on or and what I don't want to do. Yeah, and if you really want to do it, then knowing how to make sure you've got the motivation to do it and see it through and not just saying it's a, it's another thing on the list that I just never get to. And, and equally also for the things that are taking up your current levels of motivation, are those the things you really want to be doing or are those just the things you've always done? You know, if there's things you continually do without a great deal of motivation, all they're doing is draining you. But if there's also some things that you keep saying, I keep saying I'm going to do that, I'm, I'm definitely going to do that at some point. It's understanding that unless you have that level of motivation, you're not going to do it, and that's okay. Or if you, or if it's not okay that you don't do it, it's then creating the motivation so that it's done. So it gives you that level of self-awareness, gives you your self-confidence because you're determining it. It's about self-management so that you're getting the best out of yourself and and investing that motivation into the things that matter most to you, you'll generate greater results, you'll be successful by being you, and you'll be happier with your decisions. This is great. Okay, because some of the things we talked about before are imagining better future selves, whether you know, in terms of habits, even vision and purpose. And that's great to have that picture. But then this is going to help us get there. This is going to be creating a, an engine to get from today's place to that place that you've already decided you wouldn't mind getting to. This is going to build those extra levels of motivation to help you get there. Yeah, and it's understanding how your engine works. And your engine might work differently to mine. Your motivations might be differently from mine. 
Because if if you don't take control, and this is what all self-development is about, is that conscious self-determination of you being the best version of you. It's finding out where your motivations are. Otherwise, you're trading off what other people are telling you you should be motivated by. And nowadays, there's no shortage of other people, particularly social media um, situations and circumstances or your past telling you what you should be motivated by. And therefore, you're not in control of that. And therefore, and it's a variable. And so sometimes you go beating yourself up saying, why is it I'm just not finding the motivation to do that? And so this gives you that empowerment to take control of that, self-determine that, and make sure, therefore, that you're putting the motivation into the things that matter most to you. You're right, because that's it. We are all being told this should be important to you, therefore do this or you know this should be your motivation but this is a personal thing then so like we've talked about before about personal ownership this isn't something people don't give you their motivation to you and you and you swallow it and and move on this is about you figuring out what is as you said your own personal engine okay and importantly on that you're you're, you're able to define your motivation rather than just it being a thing um, so one of the best examples of this is people are in sales jobs, it's always assumed that they're going to be motivated by money. And that is a quite one-dimensional motivation for most people, unless you've defined what you're going to do with the money. And that's by being able to define actually what that money means to you and makes possible and the difference it makes. Then you start becoming more motivated that the money becomes a means towards an end that means something to you rather than it being an end in itself. And therefore, this allows you to take things that are the sort of formal motivator, but being able to expand and amplify that level of motivation by what you would really want to do with it. So it's it's by understanding that we can then create the level of motivation, find that level of motivation that works for us, what pushes our buttons rather than being told you should be motivated by this. And sometimes that's not a boss that's telling us. Sometimes that's us saying, well, I always said I would want the house, the car, the money. Therefore, that's what I should keep going for. And there becomes a time where maybe that doesn't motivate you as much as it used to. And unless you then understand how to find and create more motivation, you're going to have less motivation. It's going to dwindle away as you continually chase things that no longer excite you. So this comes us back to what we've talked about in the past about relationships, how relationships do, the change relationships, how these things will have a natural deterioration or evolution. The same is exactly the same then for motivation and that emotional management piece we talked about as well in, in previous episodes where we're layering up of different reasons, the why to the power of seven, all of these things, and I can hear the, the the echo of these back in this, which is great because then it feels to me, you know, it's, it's part of this wealth of work that we're building. Okay, this is good. So this motivation, this owning this motivation, the strength of the motivation, this is going to help move us to where we choose to go. And that that self-determination, I mean, we all want that. We all want to be able to choose you know, where we're going to and lovely to be feeling we can move there. Okay, this is good. 
So what should we consider first? Well, this is a fantastic model and it's it's the one model that we can then go into in depth so we're not sort of moving around from one to another. If you can imagine a timeline, because we're all on a timeline, and at one end of the timeline, there's dangers, and at the other end of that timeline, there's opportunity. And where we tend to sit is in a circle right in the middle, halfway between the dangers, half halfway between the dangers and the opportunities, and that's our current comfort zone. And we tend to sit in that comfort zone, weighing up the opportunities against the dangers or weighing up the pros and the cons. So if we're far enough away from the dangers, um, then we're in the comfort zone. And that makes sense that we want to be far enough away from the dangers and that's comfort zone. But why are we also far enough away from the opportunities? Why does that leave us in the comfort zone? Because we want something to aim for and we want to stretch for better, but we also are balanced out with looking with what could be worse. Okay. And, and, and that's interesting because, yeah, when you're saying it, it sort of rings a bell in your own head. But if you were to do this on a purely intellectual level, you'd be wondering why, 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 why would the ZZ, the comfort zone, be stuck in the middle? You'd think that everyone would want it at the end. but Well, the, the comfort comes from knowing that things could get better, as well as understanding that where you are is better than where it could be, so things could be worse. So the comfort zone sits in that middle, far enough away from both, so that you can observe both, compare both, and weigh up those pros and cons. That makes sense. Yes, yeah, you're right. It's the word comfort, isn't it? Is if I guess if I move too far towards the opportunities and the things are new and different and changing and uh, yeah, and that's obviously more uncomfortable. Okay. Uh, look, we do this psychologically, and you know, if you park your car in a bay, you park it in the middle. You know, if you're walking through a doorway, you're aiming to walk through the middle. You know, you look at the centre of a picture and then your your vision kind of expands out. You want to know that, yeah, things could be a lot better, but it could be a lot worse. And that puts you in that place of comfort. That's good as well. You're right, because then this also fits in with what we've talked in the past about happiness and relationships and change is, and what we talked about with vision as well, is it's actually quite a dispiriting place if you actually thought you were at the O. You, it would be it's quite a sad place isn't it you do need that as you said optimistic view to something to look forward to to look out on to dream about um you don't want to get there okay so d i've got dangers d in my little picture of drawing i've got d the dangers i've got a line pointing to the o the opportunities and then i've got a place which looks like check cz in the middle of of it so this at the moment looks like a really bad map well, you, you sit in the middle in that comfort zone so that you can observe the opportunities and, and look at those, but also be able to look at the dangers. And what you then do is you weigh these things up. So you create a drop-down menu on both. So you look at the opportunities and you think, well, what would that do for me? And then you look at the, da- the dangers if it goes wrong and what's the risks then involved. And if the two drop-down menus balance out, so if there's many pros as there is cons, what you then do is continue to sit in that comfort zone, weighing up the pros and cons. And there's as many there's, there's as many reasons to do this and there's as many reasons not to do it. So you then sit in that comfort zone, still pondering. And there are times, therefore, where you might step out of your comfort zone towards the opportunity. So 
you're maybe in some nightclub at three in the morning and you look across a smoke-filled dance floor and you see the vision of your perfect partner and you get up off your chair for the first time that night and start to walk across that smoke-filled dance floor because you've seen that opportunity and you've now stepped outside your comfort zone. And then typically you'll have friends who will then get a hold of you and say, no, sit back down, not you, not tonight, not never. <laughs> and they put you back in your comfort zone. There's times when you step out towards that opportunity and then find ways of stepping back into it because it feels that little bit uncomfortable, little bit exposed, a little bit beyond where you're comfortable. There are also times when you fall out the other end of the comfort zone towards the danger. You know, those times when maybe you've got too much month left after all your money's gone and you've fallen out that comfort zone towards the danger, and then you find all sorts of innovative ways and ingenious ways of getting yourself back into that comfort zone. So you stop spending on things, you stop going out, you cancel a membership, you do a car boot sale, or you sell something online to get yourself back into that comfort zone. And once you're back into that comfort zone, even though you've just improved your personal cash flow, you then just mop your brow and say, thank goodness, I don't want to get caught out like that again. The paycheck comes in at the end of the month and you sit still again and you're back in that place of comfort. And so that comfort zone, you're weighing up the pros and cons. Sometimes you step out and then you find your ways of getting back into where you're more comfortable. And yeah, even, I mean, the example you use there about like things like cash flow and money, it's such a personal idea then, isn't it? You know, there are those people who have to have a certain amount of money, you know, in the bank, in their savings, you know, they put their 30% away of their paycheck every month religiously. And then there's those other people as, as long as, you know, all of my credit cards aren't maxed out, that I'm fine and I'm comfortable. So it is a, it's a very personal thing then, you know, your, where, where your comfort zone sits. It, it can also be for a company as well. You know, if you look at, you know, companies who were in a comfort zone of having a, you know, if you've got a media company who were mainly in print, some of the biggest newspaper companies, and they realise the danger that the newspaper, the print business was declining, and they can see the opportunity of going digital uh, and going completely online. And they step out of their comfort zone towards that because they would say, we can see the benefit in having that. But then when it doesn't produce the returns as quickly as they were promised it would be, they step out of that comfort zone and then they step back in and say, let's get back to doing what we know, know how to do. We know how to sell papers. And they learn to live with the danger of that decline because that is more comfortable than getting into that unknown. This is really good. That example you use is as a, having a similar conversation recently. You know, Lots of people want to talk about their sales plans and had the same conversation for a few months with this company and it's then it was understanding that actually the danger associated with the opportunity was so much bigger than the opportunity itself that they got all of the massive reasons they should do it but there were such big important entrenched reasons of why they were never going to move it was like that's fine now you know this you know, stop, stop worrying about it. Relax, you know, in a, in a way. Um, and, and this is where the power of the, the drop-down menu comes in. If the drop-down menu of the opportunity is only equal to the drop-down menu of the dangers, then you will stay in that comfort zone. If the drop-down menu of the dangers 
is significantly longer than a drop-down menu of the opportunity, you'll not want to take the opportunity. But if your drop-down menu of the opportunity is so long, you will actually start to eliminate the dangers from your thinking and you'll make those decisions. For anybody who has made a significant purchase, whether it's signing up for the mortgage on a property or the car of their dreams or the red dress or the beige suit, and you know, two of the most risky purchases that you will make, it will have been because that drop-down menu of opportunity means so much to you. If it's a property, it's maybe where it is, it's south-facing garden, it's the ideal style of property. It's, you know, for some people, it's because it's a project and there's lots you can do to it. For others, it's because everything's been done. You don't need to touch it. It's, you know, close to where you want to commute or where you work or it's close to family and friends or where you can socialise or it's close for airports or commuter areas. There's a whole other drop-down menu reasons why you will then go for it. But exactly. But as you're talking, though, you're you can add these. So I mean, basically, what you're saying is, once you understand you've got the drop down with the D and the O, what you've just been doing there with the house is actually you get the opportunity. You know, you, 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 you now now you're in control. You get the chance to add to the D or to the O in the in the same way you've you, you've just done with that house. Then, for example, so if I'm looking at the house, I go, yeah, the house is okay. And then I start to build it all out, all of these fantastic other reasons. Then by the end of this process, I've got to move. And, and that's you taking ownership and you self-determining whether you're going to move, move in a direction or the other direction. Because equally, if you just look at the drop-down menu and you expand that drop-down menu, and if you think of buying a property, for instance, if you're investing in that over the next 20, 25, 30 years, all the variables that can occur economically, globally, locally, you know, your ability to pay a variable amount of money every single month for 15, 20, 25 years, you know, 300 payments of variable amounts over a 25-year period, you know, there are, there are inherent risks involved in that. And so if, if you allow all those risks and dangers to be more in your thinking, it's going to be more difficult to create that drop-down menu and the opportunity. So whatever one you focus on will be the one that expands. This is your choice, though. You get to choose which one you get to focus on then in in this model. So rather than unconsciously finding some sort of equilibrium, by understanding this model, then what you're saying is, is you can actually make it work for you. Yeah, if you really want to do something, this is how you then create the motivation to do it. Whichever, the, if there's a compelling drop-down menu, so if if the, the opportunity, the drop-down menu and that opportunity is so extensive, what you will do is start to eliminate the dangers from your thinking. Now, the dangers still exist, but the, you'll start to eliminate the dangers from your thinking because you're so focused on the opportunity. But equally... If you focus on all the dangers, you will eliminate the opportunity from your thinking. And this is where often we'll self-sabotage without even being conscious that we're doing it because we have that question of what's the worst that could happen, which is asked an awful lot more times than what's the best that could happen. Yeah, and as you say, if you put your energy there, that's where the that's where your focus is going to go. That's where, you know, 
It's people who have uh, problems for every solution type thing. Okay. If you have a big enough opportunity, if you have something at the other end of the rope that means so much to you that you would walk along that rope to get to it, then you're motivated. You're, you're eliminating the dangers from your thinking. You're not walking along that rope thinking, what if I fall? You're focused on what's on the other end of that rope because if it has enough meaning to you, if it has makes such a difference for you or for the people who matter most to you, you would run through walls, you would do whatever it takes if you're focused on that opportunity. You're right. So that makes that makes lots of good sense to me. And already, I mean, you know, using like dull examples, like you're saying, if you're talking about a house and you're kind of not fussed about it, but the moment you were to layer it out, well, what would this mean in terms of where you are with your friends and your family, the upkeep, the having a garden, would you near public transport, schools, um, the potential growth environment? I mean, all of these reasons you can see that if you actively stick them, put them on the drop-down menu, you know, sort of I'm thinking of it sort of well as a set of scales, and clearly it's just going to, you you can queer the pitch so that it actually really, really quickly, that becomes the outstanding place you've got to go to and therefore what that creates natural momentum to start moving well if you've got 100 reasons to do something you'll work out how to do it but if you've only got two or three reasons to do something you'll probably sit and put it off for a while and and this is equally if you really want to be doing something it's creating that drop down menu if you can't or if genuinely there isn't a big drop down menu then you can look at that and say do i actually want to do that is that enough? Is that what I really should be aiming for? Or is it just because I told myself 10 years ago that if I ever had the chance, I would do that? You're right. And in these examples, I mean, it isn't, I mean, again, using something as simple as a house or, you know, as important as a house, but then you'd link it to all those other things that are important to you. You know, they would be status and security and relationships and purpose and vision and kids and you know isn't it you know that's it you anything important to you can you link this opportunity to all of these other things then that that layering up that we've talked about before yeah you know suddenly you look at the most simple smallest thing and you think I got to do that on so many levels and you think about health kicks or eating or you know if the moment you link that to something more important to you than you know your a weekly food menu yeah I can see that you know the weight and the gravitas and the importance of those opportunities to you 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 yeah as you said you'd you'd be crazy not to do these things well, whatever the opportunity is is that gives you the direction so that's the what the drop down menu is the why because that's where your motivation comes from so this is why to the power of seven then. So just keep adding. At least to the seven and preferably a hundred. <laughs> if you've got a hundred reasons why, it'll happen. Yeah, okay. But it's equally important to understand that whatever you focus on is going to expand. And the more you focus on why this would be a great thing, you'll find reasons why it's a great thing. If, however, you are focused more on the danger and one of the reasons why people will focus on the danger is people with a school of thought is if I can eliminate the danger, if I can take away the risk, if I can de-risk this, then I'm only going to be motivated to go and do it. But the drop-down menu of dangers 
motivates you not to do something. And um, my personal example of this um, is when I go back to being the age of 17, which wasn't yesterday, I still had dreams of becoming a professional football or soccer player. And I had the comfort zone of, my comfort zone was, I'd just never been given the chance. I'd never been picked up by a scout or anything. So um, I, in the last year of high school, we had a PE teacher, it was called then, who did all the gym classes and stuff, who was an ex-professional footballer for uh, the local professional team. Not the team supported, but they were the local professional team. And at the time, I was captain of the school team. And he'd said to me, what club are you going to when you leave school? And I had my comfortable answer to that, which was, I don't have a club. I've not been picked up. You know, I've just not been lucky. And he said, well, look, I've still got contacts at the club I was at. Um, I can get your trial. And they do, they're doing trials. I think it was the end of May, beginning of June. I said, can't promise you anything, but I can get you a trial. And there's two other guys I'm thinking in the trial. Uh, from the school, it was two guys who were the year below me. And and I thought, oh my goodness. And all of a sudden I was out of this comfort zone of that this might be a chance. But unfortunately, I focused on the danger aspect of it. What if I don't get picked? What if I don't play well? Um, what if I have to admit that I wasn't good enough? What if I have to, you know, bump into guys that I've been playing football with for years and having to admit to them I'm not good enough? And what if at the end of the, the trial, the, the coach is reading out the names of the boys and it doesn't read out my name and how's that going to feel? And what if I can't stop my hand going up and saying, what about me? And everybody <laughs> looking and saying, well, it's clear because you're not good enough. And that fear of rejection and that created such a compelling drop-down menu. When it came the day of the trial, um, I faked a back injury and didn't turn up. And the reason that I did that was because if I don't turn up, they can't not pick me. And I'd focused on this drop-down menu of danger so much, I was now eliminating the opportunity for my thinking. And so I faked a back injury and didn't turn up. And it's the thing I ask everybody that I work with, is that if they only take one thing out of all these conversations, is turn up, find out. You know, don't not ask the question just in case the other person doesn't have a good answer. You know, don't hold back on the conversation just because someone might not be comfortable hearing it. You know, don't hold back on the idea just because other people might not be quite there yet. Don't not turn up just so that you don't not get packed. It's such a strong one. And, and one of the things from the story is that you were good. Well, you know, and you were regarded as good. And I sort of thinking personal stories and, and other stories as well is when there's things you're good at, it's actually quite difficult sometimes, you know, to, to, you should build on those. And you talk about this. So when you're good at something, it's about building on those strengths and keep building on those strengths. But sometimes when you're, when you have that strength, yeah, you actually get even more reluctant to leave the comfort zone because you're only ever used to hearing good things about your football in this case or, or something you do. And actually putting yourself into a place where someone's going to say, actually no you, you're not going to do that whereas actually that's the time to to do this I mean if you're going to hit any incredible opportunities it's moving with a strength it actually it's almost counterintuitive isn't it the things that then can't happen because you didn't turn up and I didn't turn up and 
there was actually scouts there from other clubs who were there for the boys who weren't good for this bigger club. Um, so the ones who turned up got opportunities. But because I hadn't even turned up, I'd eliminated any chance of opportunity. And things then, your story then continues. When you fake a back injury at 17, best way to kind of validate that is to start walking with a limp for a while. So that it validates that, yeah, ah, just unlucky, back injury. Look, I mean, look how I'm walking. And if you walk like that for long enough, you've got a nerve down the bottom of your spine called your sciatic nerve. And if you limp with that often enough and badly enough, um, you start to damage that nerve. And all these years later, I get timely reminders um, of not turning up because of a faked back injury. So it's a great reminder for me because it reminds me that everybody I speak to, every uh, group, every team, every audience you stand in front of, the key message is please don't not turn up just in case you don't get picked. Go find out. Just go and find out. But when you allow that drop-down menu of dangers to become so compelling, you eliminate opportunity from your thinking. But equally, if you can create a drop-down menu of opportunity, you'll eliminate the dangers from your thinking. And what I'm not saying is pretend there are no dangers or risks. I'm not advocating that anybody just beats their chest and shouts charge um, with total ignorance or blindness to things that can go wrong. I don't have a great deal of respect for people like that. What I've got an awful lot of respect for is to be fully aware of the dangers and risks, but then still put the work in to creating a drop-down menu and that opportunity that is then compelling enough for you to step out of that comfort zone and move towards that opportunity. We talked a little bit about some of this in the resistance to change. And it was don't try to reduce or don't try to eliminate the reasons why people are going to resist change, but actually help them come up with some fantastic reasons for change. And the other was we also talked about that fearlessness you know it's so it, it's great you know if somebody yeah can't see any dangers at all that's actually a pretty scary person isn't it you know you want them to be to see them to acknowledge them but not to let it overwhelm them and dominate them you know it, it's to create more opportunities and one thing you said as well i think it's really good is if you can't come up with enough reasons why if your drop down box isn't long enough or deep enough or heavy enough then is it something you really want to do? Because if there aren't enough reasons why, why, you know, then the question is, is why is this what on your list of things to do, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the motivation is when you need it, it's not going to be there. You're good. Yeah, exactly. Anybody be I work with who's got less than seven reasons why they want to do something, they'll be asked politely to pick something else. Because they're going to, they're going to chuck it, they're going to stop, they're going to give up as soon as it gets tough. And quite rightly, because if you've not got enough reasons for doing it, you've really got to question why you're doing it or create more reasons. And I think it's even stuff like um, stopping bad habits, I say, like stopping smoking or something. What you've just said makes so it makes a lot of sense that you see people will focus a lot on the dangers, what will happen if they continue, or is it, rather than what life could be like as a non-smoker rather than the, the, what could happen if they continue smoking. Is that a, 
Well, there's a relationship between the dangers and the opportunities and you know what you focus on is going to expand. And there's a difference between leading by fear and leading by motivation or leading yourself by fear or leading by motivation. But the first thing I want to, just before that, is to cover the comfort zone. Most people end up in a comfort zone because they can see where they are and they can see that if they move in one direction, they're moving towards an opportunity. But if they decide not to take that opportunity, they think they just stay where they are. If you look at an opportunity and an opportunity and decide not to do it, you're now the person who looked at it and decided not to do it. You're not the person who was just looking at it. So, for instance, if we take the example of someone who is in a job and they're the next level up or their boss's job becomes available. And sometimes I'll, I'll get to meet them at that stage and they'll say, I don't know whether to go for it or not. And I'm saying, okay, so why would you go for it? Well, these are the things, okay, what's, what, would, what would make you not go for it? Well, normally I might not get it, I might not be ready, I might not like it, all this kind of stuff. Okay, so, well, so how are you going to feel if you get it? I feel fantastic, I feel amazing. How are you going to feel if you don't get it? Well, I'm going to feel disappointed, I'm going to feel rejected. How are you going to feel if you don't even go for it in the first place? And that's a different place. So it's not just that if I do it, I feel a certain way, and if I don't go for it, I'm just going to stay where I am. You're now the person who decided not to go for it. That's a different place. And the distance between those points is really important. The distance between going for it and deciding not to go for it, the distance between those two points is your level of motivation. But if you have just got the, well, if I go for it or if I don't, if you have a narrow distance between those two things, then that's the level of your motivation. There's a lot of people who don't necessarily feel they're right for their boss's job. But when I then ask them the question, well, how are you going to feel working for someone else? Then all of a sudden they then think, well, well, wait a minute. I might not be ready, but I'm probably not going to like someone else coming into that role when I'm the next. So if they if they genuinely didn't mind the idea of working for somebody else, then actually they they, they didn't really want the job. But by forcing them to feel it, feel it, it's actually you you are more motivated to get to move this than before. Okay. And it also makes me think about something you said before is knowing good things, knowing for certain. So, for example, go back to your soccer trial. If you'd have gone there and you and, and everyone had said no, you'd have known for certain either what you needed to do for the next time, so that you would get a possible yes, or you know, or you would have been picked up. And but you would know for certain. This is also part of turning up. Then I guess is actually you're going to be in a better position by knowing the answer to that question. Yeah, you'll learn. Yeah, exactly. And- but all, all, all you've learned is that you didn't turn up. And then you learn about what happens when you don't turn up. And, you know, I carried that for quite a long period of time. I was then able to put it into a different place where I've got to where I am because that happened. But for a long period of time, I was in denial of that and allowing it to hold myself back. Because then I started looking at all the other things I hadn't turned up for either. And it's the only thing I ask of everybody that I work with is turn up, turn up and find out. Then we'll take it from there. But you'd asked a question about 
the power of the fear or the power of the motivation, you know, and this is the question of are you running away, is running away from a danger as motivating as running towards an opportunity? So leading by fear or leading by motivation. And when you say leading, this is yourself as well. This is you leading. Are you, yeah. So this isn't just a, the stereotypical manager from cartoons who leads by fear. This is actually yourself as well. Is If you're motivating yourself, but it's fear-based or opportunity-based. Are you driven to win or are you driven not to get beaten? Yes. You know, and, and these are powerful motivations, but they are different. Driven to win or driven not to lose. You know, and sometimes we shift from one to the other. And again, this is about being aware of it. This isn't about labelling one as being right or wrong. It's just understanding what each of them is, what its limitations are and what the power is. I get it. So sometimes actually the importance of being in a position where you don't lose is a, is an okay strategy but you've cho- you've chosen it on purpose as as this is to this is the strategy i'm using for this situation and therefore to understand fear as a motivation what it does and what it doesn't do and understanding what what, what opportunity as a motivation is what it does and what it doesn't do okay so being driven by fear is the is the fear of not uh, so is that's the outcome of not losing if i'm being driven by it's the, it's running away it's probably if we, if we put it in the context of either running away which is then driven by fear or running yes. running towards which is driven by uh, opportunity yes okay so if if you see two people uh, so if you can imagine on the timeline you've got at one end danger one end opportunity and you've got a comfort zone in the middle now, if you see someone running as fast as they possibly can, how could you tell if they're running away or running towards? Yeah, so if if they're running away from something, so in my head I always got a tiger here. So if they're running away from the tiger, then they're running as hard as they can. They're looking behind them from time to time. And then as soon as there's enough distance between them and the tiger then they'll stop and they'll slow down and, you know. So so if you think of that example, anybody who's running away from something, whether it's a tiger, whether it's um, a financial situation, a relationship, um, whether it's about a promotion or a trial or something, when you're running away, you're running as fast as you possibly can. People will say, well, you you can tell maybe by the look in their face, the expression, uh, of whether of why they're running away, you can also sometimes tell a difference. If you're running away, some people zigzag because then it's difficult to be caught. So they're not necessarily running directly; they're kind of running without a great sense of direction, or just running not to get caught. But one of the key um, differentiators when someone's running away, they will, after a time, start looking over their shoulder, and they're looking over the shoulder because the reason for running is behind them. And so they can look at the tiger or the situation or the relationship or the the thing they're trying to get away from. And if it's starting to catch them, they can run faster or change direction. But if they then start to realise this thing's not actually going to catch me, that thing is not actually going to happen. Because the dangers in my mind don't necessarily need to be real, they can just be perceived. 
But once they start to realise that's not going to catch me, that's not going to happen, this is when they have run along that timeline from the danger and they've now reached their comfort zone. Yeah. Of which they can now slow down, start walking, or even just stand still or sit down. Yeah, I love that direction. There's that zigzagging. You're right. When you're running away from something, it is just creating that distance, isn't it? And just, yeah. Do anything to get away. And that's where the power in driving yourself by fear is really, really powerful to begin with until you start getting near that comfort zone. Whereas if you're driven by the motivation of the opportunity, you're running straighter lines, you run with a greater sense of purpose. And when do you stop running? Yeah, when you're getting there. I mean, that's... Possibly never. Because possibly then you're looking at the next opportunity and because this is great. And and this is where for the first two or 300 metres, if you've got two people, you can't really tell the difference in the first two or 300 metres, whether they're running out of fear or running out of excitement. They're just running as fast as they can. But after that two or 300 metres, you start to see a difference and a gap starts to appear and that gap continues to widen because the power of the motivation of fear it's really, really strong, but won't last. Whereas the motivation and excitement of the opportunity is far more sustaining. We all learn to live with the dangers. That's great, isn't it? Because you do, there's two things which sort of jump into mind. Is one, this whole fast running and fear, and your accent is making me think of train spotting. Is the beginning of train spying. I don't know if you can think of that. Don't know why. That's one. So if you really see it in that in that in that face, that that movement, that speed of movement, it's really really strong in my in my head at the moment. But knowing that, knowing that first two hundred meters, I would say no. Both of them are as powerful as each other. But then you're but you're right. Then after and until a certain point. But the fear, you know, using fear as a powerful motivator, I would have said this is a this is a this is a good strategy to have. Sometimes it can be really powerful. But that idea of looking over your shoulder and stopping, yeah, you're right. You're not going to keep running from the tiger, um, and, and the tiger's gone. But if you're running towards a bus or something, you know, you stop when you get there, or as you sort of said, or then you're looking for the next thing to go. So it's going to be it's going to be a lot longer lasting, and the zigzagging as well is good. Yeah, and also as we tend to learn to live with fear, we get our comfort zone then starts moving towards the danger if you're driven by fear. So you know the, the first time um, someone calls you a name, that might get an emotional reaction. It might upset you. You might want to get away from them. The second time they do it, it doesn't get the same reaction. Second time they're probably going to have to maybe push you a little bit to get the same reaction. And then eventually they have to keep escalating that behaviour to get the same reaction because you learn to live with it. It becomes your nickname. <laughs> we learn to live with it and we learn to accept, ah, I'm okay with it. If you think anybody, you know, when you get your first credit card or first piece of debt, it's panic. And then after a period of time, you think, okay, well, as long as I'm making the monthly payments. And then after a while, you stop looking at how much you owe and you start looking at how much you've still got available to spend. <laughs> <laughs> and and you learn to live with it because the danger we become accustomed to 
you know, we run away from the fire and then eventually we start to get a bit of heat from it and we kind of play with it a little bit because we, we, we live with the danger. So that driving yourself by fear has a great momentum to begin with, but it's short-lived. And then eventually you start slipping back. Anybody who is doing anything in their life that they maybe feel they shouldn't be doing, whether that's smoking or drinking too much or whatever, um, or taking whatever, uh, they get the the hangover, they get the sort of, they start to see the symptoms, the cough, the all these things, and that gives them a bit of a fright to begin with. And gradually after a while, they learn to live with that. And then they learn to live with maybe not being able to do the stairs in one go. And, and then they learn to live with not being able to go to sleep without lighting up. And then, you know, the first thing they reach for when they wake up in the morning is the bottle or the cigarette or whatever. Um, and they learn to live with that. And then the cough comes and the health comes and the look comes and the friends who leave them. that, And then they learn to live with it. And it's a real, real dark story that we learn to live with the danger. So the, the, the fear is pretty short-lived. And it has to escalate to get the same response. You know, if anybody has been ever been threatened, you'll lose your job over this. Well, after you didn't, that threat no longer has the same sort of reaction. So it's really important that we understand the difference between motivating by fear and motivating by excitement. Like that. And this is, a, and that's a really personal strategy as well then. So don't, stack up on the dangers thinking oh, I'll scare myself to move from my comfort zone because you will but it will be short-lived and it, yeah and you have to keep and if that's the and if that's the strategy you'll have to keep doubling down on on all of that which is a pretty instead of telling yourself all the things you need to stop doing tell yourself the bits you need to start doing you know, plant enough flowers and there isn't enough room for the weeds but just ripping out all the weeds doesn't end up with flowers you need to plant the flowers, and then there's no room for the weeds. But telling yourself, I need to stop doing that, might actually have some short-term benefit, but eventually you'll go back to it. This is really about planting enough flowers that you say, no, I know what I should start doing. And then what's the drop-down menu for starting to doing that? Why should I start that? What would be the benefit? Where's this going to be further down the line? All those reasons. Because the, the last bit in this model is that your comfort zone will move. Comfort zone just doesn't stay the same. It moves. So if you're going through one of these purple patches, if you're going through with everything just falls into place for you, everything's just landing in your lap and everything's just good things are arriving for you, you will look at that opportunity and you'll think, I can do this. I'm, I'm, I'm motoring towards this. I've set this big opportunity that I'm going for. And everything's just clicking into place. This is great. We're off and running here. And your comfort zone starts to move towards the opportunity. But equally, if you go through one of those difficult times, things are a bit harder than you thought they were going to be. You drop the ball a couple of times, you make some mistakes, you get some criticism, you get people saying, who are you going for that kind of stuff? Some people who you thought were on board kind of drift or disappear. People don't keep you in the loop so much. You start to think, this is just me then your comfort zone is going to slide along that line towards the danger end. And all I would say to people, if your comfort zone is moving so close to the danger, that's not a good place to be making any decisions from. But when you are in that place, the way you move your comfort zone back along that timeline towards the opportunity is to reconnect the opportunity. 
And if that particular opportunity no longer works for you, get another opportunity there. I really don't care what floats someone's boat. I really don't. But I'm passionate in that they find out what does. Don't stand at the side of the water because you're saying what you've been told doesn't float your boat. Find out what does. Put the work in. Own it. Decide what does float your boat and get in the water. Yeah, the what should only be there if the whys are supporting it then, isn't it? That's clear. So if the whys aren't there, then change your what. Don't, yeah, if you can't get the motivation going, then as you said, choose something else which which gets you excited and moves you down the line. Take it off the list. If it's not going to bang enough reason, take it off the list. And I love the idea you said about the comfort zone moving as well. And this fits in again with stuff we've talked about before and confidence and self-confidence that... If you're moving that towards that opportunity and you're acknowledging you're doing this yourself, that's part of the reason why you actually you will be more comfortable then in that comfort zone. That that fits in with that as well, really strongly. Okay. The way to make sure that your comfort zone continually moves towards the opportunity, and we tend to do that. We've done this a few times with some of your teams before, Warren, as we look at what have we got that gives us confidence? What have we got that are strengths and or achievements? And when you start doing an inventory on those things, then you start to realise what I'm aiming for. Actually, why why wouldn't I be aiming for that? Because we have got strengths and achievements that unfortunately just leave them as a space. And we don't define that space by saying what is it that we've got? You know, humour, resilience, ambition, compassion, can listen, can set stuff, I care, it matters, it's important, I know how to speak to people. I know how to take care of things, ambition, determination to do well, all of these things. Those are the things within your inventory that will get you to continually move out that comfort zone and redefine where that is. Because otherwise, the gaps appear by themselves. If you think of this as as a line, as, as you defined it, actually, you know, almost deciding consciously that my comfort zone is moved because my opportunity is so much bigger now and it's further away. And if I always have to remain in the middle, so to speak, as if that's it, then the bigger and further away and sexier the opportunity is, you know, I, I'm allowing myself to move and move and I'm going past past opportunities as I'm moving towards that bigger opportunity. And again, all the links, I mean, even thinking about affirmations and future state by continually repeating and um, and recognizing what future opportunities could be again they become more normal and and part of your yeah gestalt your normal way of thinking about stuff and working yeah so an an operational level with us and this is what you're already doing all the time anyway is just being a bit more aware consciously aware of why you do things and why you don't yeah i think that's a really big one isn't it is this is it, I mean, we talk about this all the time, but this is something which is there all the time. If you are not doing something, it's because you are in your you're in the comfort zone area. If you if you're not doing something you profess that you want to do, then you either haven't figured out enough why's or it's the wrong what. And just being aware of that it allows you then to get beyond the. Is it because I'm not good enough? You know, is it because I'm not capable? That's just because you're not motivated enough. And that's okay, unless you want to be really motivated by it. 
then put the work in. So first of all, on operational levels, being aware that it's your motivation that determines whether you do things or not. So you'll understand why you do and why you don't, and that's okay. At a management level, it's then saying, well, how can I, with the things I'm currently aiming for, make sure I'm more motivated by making it happen than the f- trying to avoid the fear, what if I don't? So that you're focusing that opportunity and creating a bigger drop-down menu because what you focus on is going to expand. And then, and then the strategic level is then saying, what would I love to be doing? Because you can then define what your opportunities could be that you would love to have. Because you then know if you can create a big enough drop-down menu, you can get there. And that's where you're creating your self-motivation. Even in the things that don't motivate you, finding your motivation and driving that motivation towards the opportunities that you really want so that you can get the results you're looking for, that live the life that you want to live and be happy and successful by being you. That sounds really good. Let's finish on that. This is so simple and powerful a model. It's going to have so many layers. I love it. This is brilliant. Thank you, Stephen. Talk to you next week. What a great way to end. One of the things I think is important about this model is the motivation to move. Basically, this is creating the tension that makes you move, that allows you to move. But you're choosing the direction. You're owning it. You decide it. Sometimes motivation happens to us. Sometimes we wake up, we don't really get why it is that this is the thing that we're really excited about or looking forward to. What's simple about this model is we get the choice. We can decide where is it we really want to move to. That's great. That's a superpower. What we talk about during the self-development talk. So there's understanding it. First of all, how the motivation works, how the comfort zone works, how the danger and the opportunities work. Then we get to manipulate it and make it work for us. It's so simple when it's spelled out to us. That kind of makes me always feel that that's where the power is. You know, that joyous surprise, that sort of nod to yourself when you realize, aha, I get this. In fact, sometimes I do this. Sometimes I have made this work for me in the past. This is just a way of getting there more often, more quickly, more powerfully. Hope you enjoyed this. You can do more of these. This self-development, this owning, I think is a really important theme. So we'll continue on it. Any thoughts, comments? Get in contact. You know we'd love to hear from you. Till next time, have a good week.